Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 71. Hey, listeners, if you enjoy the MEP, please let others know about us. Tell your coworkers, your friends, your family, loved ones, and share it on social media at Macrofab or follow us on Facebook. At some point during the show, we're going to announce a secret code word. If you email us the code word and your address, we'll send some cool Macrofab swag your way. The email address is podcast at macrofab.com. And speaking of swag, we had a longtime listener, Derek, who yeah, runs... Yeah, we had some return swag. Yeah, yeah, he, he sent some stuff. Um, not return swag, and we got, like, our koozie back. No, not, not, not swag returned, <laughs> but swag from somebody. Yes. Um, so Derek, he runs The Current Source. Right, been a long-term listener. Yeah, and uh, he sent a stomp box that he designed. That's right. And um, and some stickers and some other cool stuff and a, like a hand, actual handwritten note. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, and so we'll put a link down below because he did like this huge video of how he designed it and like analyzed the signal coming out of it. He did everything besides play it. It's, this is the first Stompbox video that I've ever watched where he never actually plays a sound from it. Yeah, because he it pl- is ultimate engineer nerd. He plays a clip at the very beginning of what it will. It, he's like, "This is what it will sound like." Sure, but he doesn't actually. But doesn't actually put a guitar on it and and play. Yeah. So, thumbs up, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a cool video. It's like 14 minutes of him doing it, and he he sent this one. The name of the pedal is the Bass Awkward Distortion Pedal. Yeah, uh, and he actually painted a a bass fish on the front. Yep. it's pretty cool. So I have one suggestion on that. Yeah, what's up? Is because it doesn't have a power LED. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If you made the power LED the eyeball of the fish, it would be awesome. Oh, that'd be, that'd be killer. Yeah. <laughs> we, we might, with, I guess with, with Derek's uh, approval, we might, we might hack it. Hack an LED in it? Does that constitute a hack? Uh, no, it's a modification. Oh, okay, okay. We need to have, like, a definitions podcast. Like a Venn diagram? Yeah, when, when something is a hack, when something is a mod, and when you're just using something. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever something says uh, it's a pro-life hack, you're just using something. What? Pro-life hacks. Like that ice cube tray that, like, they're just using an ice cube tray for different things. Oh, I, I'm i pretty sure we just call those life hacks, not pro-life hacks. Because a pro-life hack sounds like... Uh, some kind of political thing that we don't oh. want to we don't want to breach that that topic pro life act in fact that sounds terrible let's get off that topic <laughs> parker what have you been up to this week <laughs> reading about pro life hacks um no um so uh, a couple weeks ago i was talking about that raspberry pi compute module yeah board so i finally finished the design completely and uh just kind of waiting for it to come back so hopefully that's all good cool i basically spent about two or three days just like going over the final design um checking the traces making sure everything looked good it does of course so we'll see if everyone works or i have to green wire anything want to place bets um five bucks on it works five bucks on i'll 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 take how about just a five bucks that that you have one beer that it works okay six pack of beer that you got a green wire at least one thing at least one thing okay (laughs) Because this is the first time I've ever routed the Raspberry Pi and the um, compute module at that, and that's um, 200 pins. Ooh. Plus all the power, plus the LVD. The LVDS chip, though, was already done. Well, so. then I will be, if, if you get this right, you will deserve 
a six pack of beer. Six pack of beer. Absolutely deserve it. Cool. I'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> you get a six pack of Bud Light. Ah, <laughs> please make it Coors. Right. Uh, oh yeah, and then um, the next project for that system, that pinball system, because we're basically going to be using the Raspberry Pi compute module for the audio video part of the pinball machine. Mm-hmm. Um, the next part is to work on the audio side of the the system, and I started looking into basically doing like a Class D amplifier because the Raspberry Pi can output um, I squared S. Which is a inner chip sound. Oh, okay. Yeah, inner well, inner IC sound. It was developed by Philips in the eighties, I think, for basically talking inside of the receivers. Huh. It uses PCM, you know, um, pulse 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 control modulation. I think it's what it's called. I don't a pulse yeah. code. Okay, yeah, yeah. I I, I know I've I've read about it. Yeah, it's not, it's basically a digital way to send analog audio. So it's just like hacking and chopping like a class D amp works, right? No, but well, with, no. with data? Yeah, that's the data side. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So I'm, I found this really cool TI chip, um, the TAS5731. Mm-hmm. It's a 20-watt three-channel, so you can do it's 2.1. Okay. Um, and it does all the crossovers inside? All inside, equalizer all inside, volume control all inside. So you control all that good stuff with i square c okay and you send the audio i squared s to it and the pi can do i squared s natively natively yes nice and we're not using the original um i2s port because all basically the entire first bank of gpio on the raspberry pi we have to use for a low voltage differential signaling for the video display mm-hmm. that's like 21 pins they have to dedicate just for the display which is like that's the entire bank. But there's a on the compute module you get access to the second GPIO bank, which will get you basically they, they move a lot of the alternate functions for the other stuff mm-hmm. down into that bank too. So you can, you know, still use like the hardware UARTs and stuff. Right. Just and swap on, between all yeah, of it. Yeah, just on different pins. Cool. So yeah, that's fun. Because we have to, we get to make our own Linux device trees, which I still don't know how to do yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you got a guy who knows all that, right? Kinda. He's learning it. <laughs> He's learning. <laughs> How the, hard can it be? It, what, what was that, that cartoon the other day that, that we saw, or the comic, where it was like a boss was talking to an engineer. He's like, please go do XYZ task. And the guy was like, yes, I can do that. And then he's like, oh, crap, I got to learn it like, <laughs> yeah, from oh, the crap, ground up. I don't up. know how to do that yet. Yeah, I have, I have no clue how to do that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, yeah, that's, what, that's what happens pretty much every day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Steven. Yeah. Synthesizer. Got more stuff on it. Awesome. So, so what you what you finished this week? This week I got the envelope and the voltage controlled amplifier up and running. Okay, cool. So uh the envelope allows you to uh create different um openings and closings of the volume of the signal. So think like a ramp in and ramp out. Yeah, think think of like you can talk, a, you can you can speak a sentence and you can control the volume on your voice. Well, the synth can do that also with the envelope. Okay. Um, so so, um, got those up and running. Uh, also got a little bit of work done on the filter too, because I was just trying to. I'm trying to get ahead as uh, uh, as much as possible. On so basically, thing. fixing the envelope 
got rid of all the clicking noises that we heard last week. So the envelope actually doesn't really technically get rid of them. It just makes it so you can't hear them. Ah. So that's just the thing with with a synth like this. The 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 wave that comes out never really actually stops. It's just always it's just we close the volume off on the gotcha. amplifier such that you can't hear it. Uh, I did change the code slightly. Because previously, the way I was simulating a note off is I would just throw the oscillator to its lowest um, setting or its lowest note. Now I just have it chug away on whatever note it's currently playing, and I just turn the volume on or off based off of when you have a note on or off um, signal. Mm -hmm. So I uh, got the, uh, the um, envelope and the amp working, and so got a little sound clip here. Once again, I'm going to be playing... Um, Mario Brothers, just because everyone knows Mario Brothers. Well, and it's the, it's the demo you originally used. That's right. So you can kind of hear the difference between what we were listening to last week when we fixed the tuning issues, uh, and now you can hear it without all the clicking and in tune. So let me go ahead and fire up this signal here. So um, the, the particular MIDI file I'm using for this Mario Brothers track actually has three separate tracks. So I've recorded it three times and stacked them all. So, yeah, so you, have to, you have to do one track, then the other track, then the other track. Right, because it's, it's, a, it's a single oscillator, so I can only record one tone at a time. <clears throat> so I've recorded three tracks here, and we'll take a listen to all three of them. I bet you our listeners are going to get tired of that eventually. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so uh, tracks are in tune now-ish. Uh, yep. I probably have to check it again, but but they, they're generally in tune now. Uh, and there's no more that clicking because the envelope is opening and closing only to hear the note that we want to hear. Yep. Except there's one issue. Uh, what is that? So if, if you listen closely, you can hear that the notes kind of jump around initially when the note first fires up. Okay. Uh, and this was something that I wasn't really anticipating. And the first time I heard this, I was like, it sounds right, but a little bit off. Uh, so let me isolate one track and play that for you and uh, take a closer listen to it. Okay, so let me actually play that a lot slower um, so that you can hear a little bit more of what's going on in there. So I'm actually going to play it at a quarter of the speed and we'll listen to a couple of the notes. <laughs> so if you, know, if, you, if you hear it, when it's played really slowly at the initial attack of each note, when the note fires up, you hear a frequency and then it jumps to the note that it's actually supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So that's an issue because I'm not telling my synth to do that. The synth was doing it on its own. Yeah, it's kind of like a it, it ramps into the frequency or ramps out of it. That's right. Um, so we actually have a little bit of a document that if you're interested in following along, um, this is going to be a, a little bit difficult to describe on the podcast. I'll, I'll do my best, but we have a little document that, that we're going to post on our, um, on our blog post. 
So macrofab.com slash blog, and then you can access the podcast episode 71 and get this document. It's a, it's a timing diagram, actually, of what's going on inside the synth. So mm-hmm. I actually took a snapshot of the waveform that I recorded. So what, what you were just listening to, I took a snapshot of it, and you can see what's going on with the waves. Um, the, in this document on the waveform, there's a lower frequency that automatically jumps up to a higher frequency. And, and in this picture, it's really, really obvious what's, yep. what's happening. Yeah, there. it's going from, it's almost doubling or tripling the frequency. Right. Yeah. And that's, what you, that's when you're hearing that da-da, da-da, or da-da, and at the beginning of each note where it does that real, real quick jump. Mm-hmm. So I actually took in my recording software, I took the wave and I measured how long that was. And it's about 10 milliseconds long. Uh, so... What's happening here is when my processor, my MIDI to control voltage processor, receives a MIDI code, what it does is it's writing a signal off to the um, analog to di- or digital analog converter and sending that off to the um, oscillator processor. At that time, it is also turning on the gate signal. Mm-hmm. Now, the gate signal is the signal that gets sent to the envelope, telling the envelope to turn on and let volume through or let signal through. So as soon as it gets that MIDI signal, it's automatically opening up the volume to let whatever's in the pipeline, basically whatever signal is there, it's letting that through. So what's happening here is that my oscillator processor needs a little bit of time to figure out what's going on. Yeah, the crunched numbers. Right. It actually has to read in the, the voltage that I'm sending it. It then has to do a handful of calculations. Then it has to write out to a couple chips, and the oscillator has to respond to that. So what we're actually hearing here is the time difference between when I'm telling my processor to do something and when the processor actually finishes doing the thing I tell it to do. Um, so you, that's, you basically made a... Uh, a and in, in you know when you do software development and firmware, this is like your interrupt timing diagram. Yeah, I, 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 I made an audible ISR. Yeah, yeah. So so like when you know uh, a lot of times you you'll just in your main loop you'll tell a pin to go high and low, and then you can measure how long your main loop goes. Yep. I did that audibly. Yeah. Not knowing I was actually doing that, <laughs> but it makes sense because my processor takes a finite amount of time to actually crunch out an exponential calculation. Yeah, I actually you have to do a logarithmic calculation also in there. Yeah, because you're doing what? What a 32-bit float operation on an 8-bit microcontroller running at 16 megahertz. Yeah, uh, so it's not the fastest thing on earth. It's Arduino, you know. But, mm-hmm. but the good part is it's not that hard to fix. And it's also not that audible, the fix. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it is 10 milliseconds or some something around that. It's I, I'm measuring it in a audio recording software. It's not necessarily the most, like, scientifically accurate thing. But regardless, it's about 10 milliseconds. So what I did was I just went into my MIDI to CV code, and I added a delay to when it turns the gate signal on. So, in other words, I'm waiting just a small period of time to turn on my uh, amplifier and allow volume to come through. So, here is the exact same tracks, but uh, this is with the time delay in them. I also adjusted the envelope just a little bit um, so it has um, a longer release. So, you'll hear the notes trail on a little bit. It almost sounds like a little bit of reverb. So, here is the track. I think it's a little slow. <laughs> yeah, I need to I need to bring the the rate back up to to uh, the original value. Okay, so this is that track at the proper speed.
that sounds right. That is exactly what we're looking for. So that that weird note jumping thing is actually technically happening. I'm just waiting to open the volume till after that has happened. So uh, I recorded one more track just for fun where I have the uh, the exact same track, but I added the sub oscillator underneath mm-hmm. all of the tracks. So there's six waves being played here. So it's a little bit more full. Mm-hmm. And then I can go in and add three more tracks on there. So I, I have nine waves playing all the same thing right now. So it's starting to come together. Yeah. It's starting to actually sound like what I'm intending it to. So I got a question. So if you're waiting 10 Roughly 10 milliseconds yeah. to turn on. Do you wait roughly 10 to turn off? No, no. So, so what's what's great about it is since since it's playing the same wave nonstop, even when I turn it off, it's still playing the wave that I told it to play. Mm-hmm. I can turn it off as fast as I want. And in fact, the speed at which I turn it off is ridiculously well, fast. Well, I'm just saying if you want to play a note for one second, you're actually only going to be playing for 990 milliseconds. Oh, well, y- you are correct. I could I could tack on an extra 10 milliseconds if I wanted to be accurate in time, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, you won't hear the difference. So, yeah. Um, so the um, envelope and the amplifier are now working. I've got all my waves working, um, and and things are, are, like I said, are coming together. So I did work on the filter a little bit this week, and I found a... An annoying issue. So, what does the filter do? Uh, the filter is a is a four pole low pass filter okay. that is controlled by a voltage signal. So, I can put in whatever voltage signal I want, and as the voltage increases, the cutoff frequency of the filter will move, will slide, slide around. Yeah, right. So, um, it, it 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 creates really vocal sounds. It, it, it it's basically the mouth of the the uh, the synth. Right now, I have volume control and I have timber and timbre, but I don't have the ability to actually form the mouth piece of it. Uh, and that will come hopefully next week. I was hoping to do it today, but I ran into an issue where my filter just wasn't working at all, and I could not figure out why. And then. I started probing around, and I found out that I made a really stupid mistake. And luckily, the PCB is fine. Everything can work well. I used two packages on my PCB that are uh, 16 narrow SOICs. And inside, they have five precision match transistors because it, it really worked well in this kind of circuit. Well, those... Packages come in multiple different variants. Oh, and I bought the wrong different variant. Pinouts? I just yeah, I just bought the wrong variant and oh. soldered that down. So I've already purchased the right chip. All I have to do is hot air it off, put the new one on, and I bet you the filter will just fire up. It's not a calibration issue. It's not a really a design issue. And and the thing is, I went into dip trace to see did I just goof? And the name of the part, I named it the correct uh, package. I put under the value the wrong package. Oh. And when I exported my bill of materials, I exported the wrong package, and that's what I bought. So, yeah. I kind of expect that every single piece of this synth, I will have at least one issue, except for one. The uh, I already know that the low-frequency oscillator works. Yeah. But to be honest, I kind of copied that from other people. So it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, coming along, getting some cool stuff. Hopefully next week we'll have some uh, filtering going on. 
so last week we were talking about 3D printing. Yeah. And so our pick of the week this time, well, 3D printing in regards of like figurines and stuff for like Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And so Steven earlier this week found this website called Fat Dragon Games. Yeah. I love the name. Which which originally started off as a Kickstarter. Yeah. And they have this product called Dragon Lock. It's I guess it's I guess it's a product because you still buy it. It's Dungeons and Dragons marketing wank. Yeah. It's basically you you pay, I think it's like ten dollars. Yeah. And you can get all the STL files for basically building your own Lego block dungeons. Yeah, like tiles. Yeah. And they all clip together using their dragon lock system which is just a little plastic clip right yeah yeah dragon lock tm <laughs> yeah that's right they, they went through all that trouble which yeah. hey you know thumbs up to them yeah but but their terrain looks really cool yeah it's really nice looking and uh to kind of go off that i um just picked up a new 3d printer my old one was some like you know, make a bot replicator rip off that bot off eBay. Right. And it won't hold calibration anymore. Yeah, you know, get what you pay for. Yeah, I mean, you had years of use out of it. Yeah. Um, and I you, actually, I think you printed like, a ton of stuff on it, too. Yeah, I think the first year I had that printer, I printed every day. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was probably running about four or five hours a day. So what'd you end up getting? I got the uh, Monoprice Ultimate Maker thingy. Yeah. It's like normally 700 bucks, but they had it on sale. So... So you got it for like what five fifty? Five fifty, yeah. Nice with free shipping. It it, it looks uh, it looks pretty good. I, it's gonna show up next week. Yeah, and we're gonna do some test prints uh, on a handful of things. The MEP is not sponsored by Monoprice, <laughs> <laughs> un- un- unless Monoprice wants to wants sponsor. To sponsor it. <laughs> yeah, give us free swag, Monoprice, please. Yeah, there we go. Oh, oh it'd be awesome if Monoprice would just give us cables. Cables. That's what they originally first did. Wait, what kind of cables? HDMI. They went from 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 cabling to three D printing. Yep. Huh. They actually sell a lot of crazy, like self standing, like was it not not self standing, um, standing desks that are adjustable. They sell those too now. So they're just all over the place. Yeah, cool. but it's all like everything is like mono price. Uh, yeah, mono price branded stuff. I don't think they design anything. They just they just find something that's good and they oh, slap their name I, on it. Okay, okay, yeah, I got you. So they sell a lot of stuff. It's like the Amazon Basics stuff. Yeah, you can get like a USB cable that says Amazon on it, and it's just some random Chinese crap cable. Amazon just just searches Alibaba all day long and just like yeah, that sounds like a basic. except that instead of like yeah. a couple thousand, they need like a billion USB cables. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> On to the RFO. RFO. So three articles this week. Okay. Um, I think we always have three articles. Yeah, we, we stick to that. Um, first article is, heads up, WS2812B NeoPixels are about to change Woo-hoo! by Particle IO. They're not changing for good reasons. Oh. Or, Boo. well, whatever. We'll get to it. Um, <laughs> you must have some opinions on this. Yeah, kind of. Um, Samsung to recycle millions of recalled Galaxy 7 Note 7 phones mm. by Electronics Weekly. And this we've talked about that's that's the exploding Samsung phones right. we talked about before. Um, and then IBM unveils world's first 5 nanometer chip Wow! by ARS Te- Technica? Technica, yeah. Okay. Cool. So the first one. 
WS2812B chip is otherwise known as the NeoPixel. It's also basically the chip that goes into a lot of those LED addressable strips. Yeah, um, it's, it's, got, it's all over Adafruit. Yeah, it's a, an RGB LED with its own addressable controller, basically. Right. And you basically you serialize everything together, and it's a one-wire communication protocol. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah it's one-wire. And it's it's ridiculously easy to string them in a series. Yeah. And they have a pretty uh, decent color depth. Yeah. So they actually added... Um, they basically improved it. There was a basically a change notice that came from World Semiconductor, which is the company that makes them. Yep. And they couldn't keep up with the demand. And well, so their manufacturer couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. I think they actually do manufacture it. Oh, they themselves? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I thought they were switching fabs because – oh, whatever. No, they, but regardless, couldn't keep up. Yeah, they basically um, are making a new line that will probably just make this one chip. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were like, we're going to improve the product, which is good. Yeah, why not? So the first big change is the refresh rate of the LED is almost, it's a five times increase. They're going from 400 hertz to 2,000 hertz. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's good. So basically when you, um, you can, you can change the, the colors faster. Right. And you won't get flickering when you do low speed video or record it with an HD camera. Or you'll get less. Uh, you probably shouldn't get any. Yeah. 2,000 hertz is pretty quick. Yeah. Is that 2,000 per LED, or is that 2,000 shared between each one of the LEDs? You mean the three inside? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I, it's the it's probably just the PWM frequency of the controller. Right. So okay. it's 2,000 per one. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And then they reduced how much current it draws, or the LEDs inside they reduced it by one milliamp from seventeen and a half to sixteen and a half. Yeah, and it it's probably just to like um like probably their LED dye is more efficient now, has less leakage. Probably. And that's that's they got that saving there. Um and the the they warn their customers basically on this. Mm-hmm. Like the uh if you if you're Design matters and current consumption. You should like split your your lot numbers from the A to B. Yeah, it's kind of weird how they like. It's only one milliamp difference. I'm like, what design would matter based off one milliamp of what the LED is burning? Well, okay, so the designs that do matter for an LED for 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 one milliamp would never use this LED. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Anything that sensitive. I mean, 17 and a half milliamps is, is um, fairly thirsty, you know? It's not, I mean, for, for a tricolor, it's not that bad. Especially no, that's with per, all the addressing. I think that's per dye. Oh, that's per dye? Okay, so then, yeah, it's a pretty, it's it's hungry. Yeah. You wouldn't use it in a low-power yeah. device. So. You're almost, it's almost 60 milliamps, plus whatever the uh, um controllers using right okay well okay so but the thing is binning these things is not that hard though because they actually have a physically different package now right nope it's exactly the same i'm i i thought they showed some some pictures where it's slightly different no that so they had an a b picture uh-huh. the dies are exactly the same and one's just bigger oh okay it's just so more the, zoomed in okay i got you i got you i thought i was i thought i saw that they were physically different no they're they're exactly the same okay so then it is hard to bend them yeah and this next one i really like because it's really 
it's definitely they wrote the change log in Chinese and then they just Google translated it. Nice. Because um, it's old and new chips go all the way in pins, application circuits, operating voltage, and PCB drawings, and the software is also fully compatible. All the way. <laughs> <laughs> all the way. All the way. Um, it's like when you order a burger. You want it all the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, they're saying it's compatible with the old one. Sure. Well, I mean, I I would hope that all the pins go all the way in. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I first thought. Like, <laughs> the pins go all the way. Yeah. Like, well, I would hope so. Yeah, that's, that, that's kind of a requirement. <laughs> um, and then number four, um, the big change is they're changing the reset timing um, from 50 milliseconds, uh, 50 microseconds to 280 microseconds. Mm. So, so it, it has a little bit longer to miss spikes and things? Yeah. And this actually, this is what actually caused the particle.io to make a blog post about it because they didn't know that. They didn't know anything about this change until they built some boards and, and, they they, and a pre existing design and the reset didn't work. Oh, well, that's convenient. Yeah. That's hmm. a cool article. Yeah. Um, We've we've dealt a good bit with of uh, with twenty eight twelves at the fab. Yep. I bet you we'll see these pretty soon, if not already. Well, we don't have to do anything. It's sound. I'm hoping that they can improve their uh, manufacturing quality. We've had that issue before, or a lot of people have had that issue with these LEDs before. They don't like to get hot. No. And we have a big big oven that likes to get hot. Yep. So it it gets it's hard. It's hard to work with these things. Yeah, the good thing is um, we've actually, with our brand new oven, we've done a lot of um, profiling profiling and research on these LEDs. That's right. And yeah. we've got those on, on lock now. The so. old oven was really difficult, yeah, almost impossible to, to do the 2812, but the new oven gives us a whole lot more flexibility. Yeah. It's mainly the, um, it, it's how long you stay in liquidus state, mm-hmm. and our new oven basically just kisses it and stays just long enough to go back down because mm-hmm. we have more zone control. Right. Our old oven, um, it had a much shorter area to cool off also. Yeah. Uh, in, in, it was more in the matter of inches than feet yeah. for cool off. And so I actually measured our cool off rate, and it was, it was within spec, but it was the very top end of how fast you can cool off. And, and that could potentially cause cracking with some stuff. Yeah. So. The um cuz the the big issue with these these LEDs is actually the thermal expansion between the lens and the and case the, and the no, the gold wiring. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because right. they gold wire and then the lens is basically an epoxy goop filled. They just goop just in clear. there. Yeah. And so when that lens expands at a different rate, it will actually lift the gold wire. Right, and breaks it off of the the substrate. Yeah. No bueno. Oh, yeah, and at the very end of the changelog, I just switched to the next page of the notes, so I, I just refreshed myself. Um, <laughs> at the very bottom, it says, in caps, so sorry for any inconvenience that may cause. That may cause. I, it will cause. It will cause. <laughs> inconvenience. It already has. Or, or inconvenience this will cause. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, ah. good, good for them. You know, update. That's good stuff. Make it make it such that it can go through a reflow oven lead, easily. Lead-free. Lead-free, yeah, easily. And that would, you know, it might just be, well, I, 
of course, it's probably not this easy, but a chemical change in whatever uh, resin or epoxy they use for the for the lens. Uh, something that can withstand a little bit more heat because the actual plastic, the white plastic body can withstand the heat, but the lens can't. You know, Cree, one of the like legit LED manufacturers, yeah. should make a, a LED like this. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, there's sort of two, right? The APA 102 and the WS2812. Yeah, and there's actually a couple other ones made by a different company that start with a SK with some numbers. Mm, okay. It's been a while since I've looked at them. Yeah, but the twenty eight, the twenty eight twelve is the the popular one. Yeah, that's probably the, because of Adafruit. Yep, probably. Cool. So RFO number two is Samsung to recycle millions of recalled Galaxy Note seven phones um, by Electronics Weekly. So I really like this article because we actually have a number: how many phones that were recalled? Four million phones. Four million times what? I think that phone was like six hundred, seven hundred dollars. Yikes. Yeah. Um, Samsung's having to eat it pretty hard. Yeah, that's that's uh it's a little bit over a billion dollars. And in raw hardware. You um, know what? They're not gonna make that mistake again. Probably. <laughs> that um, guaranteed that'll never happen again. And so the article talks a little bit about recycling hard the hardware. Um so they're gonna salvage all the components they can such as semiconductors and camera modules for the expensive but they're not going to use them though in new products they uh, shall be detached for test sample production purposes what are they going to do with 4 million camera modules for <laughs> test purposes i i what would they do what could <laughs> they do with that it's, they're just going to sit in some box somewhere yeah, well, they, yeah, I don't know. Several boxes. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's a PR thing to just say that they're not just gonna like dump it in the ocean or something like that. Yeah, it's gonna go in some Samsung warehouse for all of eternity. Right. Yeah. It's gonna be like putting the Ark of the Covenant in like Area Fifty One at the very end of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah, but it's just all Our crates men of cameras. Are recycling <laughs> crates of Galaxy Notes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, when's this supposed to take place? Or it's is starting now. Right now, it's starting okay. now. Um, and they they're like, yeah, and like the circuit board, we're gonna you know give to third parties, and they're gonna rip all the copper and gold out. And I'm like, yeah, that's uh, very good for the environment in terms of just how much pollution that creates. Yeah, recycling gold's kind of rough. Yeah, if you've ever watched videos on it, it takes some it takes some nasty stuff to get yeah. the gold back out, and you get like nothing. From it. Yeah, well, because you just have a very, you have like 35, was it micrometers? No, it's actually less than that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's half of that or less. Yeah. And, and it, gold does not like to react with things. And so you have to have some really nasty chemicals to, to get it to come off. And then um, Samsung also plans to join EU's R&D and test efforts to develop new eco-friendly processing methods. Yeah, that sounds like another PR move. Yeah, it's all know. PR stuff. Yeah, yeah. They're just, you know, I, I, it's, it's they're all, trying to save face. They've got a huge black eye, and they're like, don't look at that. It's basically <laughs> they're saying, we're going to recycle it. Don't worry about it. And everyone's just like, oh, yeah, recycling's good. <laughs> yeah. Except recycling electronics, it's a, it's a good thing if you can do it. And properly. and properly and respect the environment while doing it. Yeah. But most places don't. Well, I mean, 
they're just going to put it all up in a warehouse and everyone forgets about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to shoot it into the sun. <laughs> all right. Third RFO. Yeah. So IBM unreal, unreal, yeah, unreveals world's first five nanometer chip. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is really cool because um, have you studied going down that that low? Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to basically tr- use tricks in the logography to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Light. Light. The the interaction of how light responds to your films starts to actually make a huge difference. Yeah. Well, because you your your spacing inside your your screen is smaller than the wavelength of the light at that point. Right. Yeah. Right. So they started using like ultraviolet light, which you have has to change the wavelength, wavelength yeah. and other tricks like that. And they're, now they're going to extreme ultraviolet, which is just higher frequency. Right. Um, UV. Yeah. So I, man, I remember when I graduated school, and this and now I'm realizing this is dating me already. In 2009, I graduated, and I remember my professors being like, "45 nanometer." We're the best. Woo. And now we're already down to five. Five. That's crazy. That um, is crazy. And so it, it, the article goes into some like history of like first there were 2D transistors and then we did 3D, which were called uh, FinFETs. They basically grew them vertically. Right. The gate, instead of like laying on top of uh, the silicon dioxide, it actually surrounds it. Uh, it's it's really cool. There's some there's some really great YouTube videos about FinFETs. And so now they're going kind of back to 2D, 3D ish. They're basically taking the FinFET and then it's called Gate All Around GAA FETs. Okay. And they basically take the FinFET and then chop it down to go 90 degrees, and then they stack basically FinFETs vertically. Huh. Neat. Yeah. And. Uh, they explain it as it's basically like a nano wire at that point. The gate becomes. You know the thing that the thing that's crazy about it, Ed. My buddy back in college, I remember him making this observation, and it was a little bit stunning to me at the time. He he was saying like, we we were taking this semiconductor class, and we you work in the nanometer world so often in that class that you forget that it's. A nanometer, you forget mm-hmm. that it's that small that, like, you just kind of, like, throw those numbers around. you got to remember now these transistors are, like, a handful of atoms wide now. It's not, like, they're Can not, like, this our big code thing. Word? Which one? A handful of atoms. Handful of atoms. That's our code word. Waited to the very end on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just like, hey, we haven't come up with a code word yet. Yeah. All right. So email that <laughs> into podcast at macrofab.com along with your address, and we'll send you some sweet swag. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's absolutely it is it is kind of crazy now that you know five nanometers. We're, we're you're only talking about you know a hundred atoms or less. Yeah, across. and you actually get problems where even with the vet turned off, electrons just go straight through. Well, yeah. The, the, so it's interesting if you study the quantum world. The quantum world is completely wacko and messed up, uh, and it doesn't really behave the way that we behave in the macro world. Uh, but the but we're getting to the point where the boundary starts to uh, play more of an effect because the quantum world is all uh, about probability and statistics, mm-hmm. effectively. Like, how often is there a chance of something something happening? In in our scale, the the chance is so through the roof. Yeah, the chance of your hand and going up on the other a, side of the room is 
zero. Right, but in the quantum world, it can happen. So, yeah, we're getting to the point where electrons will just tunnel through a gate and turn the gate on. Yeah. And now it's like, well, how do you how do you adjust for that? How yeah. do you account for that? And so a lot of times in these in these really high end, you know, small semiconductor stuff is the gates are always fully on and they're not fully off. They just they just have enough of a state difference where they that that's a zero and a one. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Oh, they're having to trick it that hard. Yep. Wow. It's almost like uh, you know, back in the day they were thinking about doing analog computers. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's still two states. Right. But it's not a true no potential, full potential. It's this quasi That's potential. crazy. Because thinking of it as zero one, it's it's not it's not zero and one. It's it's full potential of your voltage or no potential. That's that's the least digital thing I've heard you say <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, but the, the, but wait, wait, if if it's somewhere in between there, is it not dissipating? extra heat by being there oh yeah so that's actually one of the things you're kind of defeating the purpose of going that small well that that actually when you get smaller you the added benefit like when you go oh yeah smaller technology makes it so you have less heat which is not true it's the other things they do that reduce power and heat whereas if you just get smaller you actually increase the heat because of this you get more leakage current right everything you can go faster and you can jam more in the in the same area, but you you your heat dissipation goes goes way up. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, with with you know a larger scale processor, the only time, well, sort of, the only time that it's dissipating heat is the point when it's transitioning between a high or a low or a low and a high state. It's that movement in between that's the dissip- uh, dissipation. When it's at a high state or a low state, it's not really cooking. Yeah. Uh, but with these guys, I guess they're just Bacon all the time. Yeah. Huh. Bacon all the time. That should have been the code yeah, word. Yeah, should have been the code <laughs> um, So my favorite comment on this article, though, was uh, it's at the very beginning, and it's um, GA FETs may go all the way down to three nanometers, especially with the combination of extreme ultraviolence. Mm-hmm. No one really knows what comes after three nanometers. And I'm like, two nanometers? Two nanometers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't even imagine something smaller than three nanometers. Well, you know, it, so <laughs> I know it's in regards of. Yeah, this is ridiculous, but it, but it is kind of it is kind of funny because uh, you know every time we get to that point where we're like we we really can't go any smaller than this, somebody does somehow. Yeah. But the, but making okay, the thing is doing this once is one thing. Doing this a couple billion times per processor and then a couple million times for all the processors, that's how you really prove it, you know? Yeah. So is, can, is it, it, can you actually pull this off over and over reliably? It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did like micrometers and got lucky to get one transistor out of 150 to even slightly work. I know it's very difficult. <laughs> So with that, that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. It was episode 71. 71. Uh, we were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy.